I'm Dr. Jill Wiener. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. So excited to have Melody Lewis and Turquoise Devereaux here with me today. Melody is Mojave Tewa Hopi and an enrolled member of the Fort Mojave Indian Tribe. Melody is a social entrepreneur dedicated to serving indigenous communities and individuals within the systems of workforce development, education, and economic development, utilizing collaborative approaches rooted in indigenous identity. Turquoise Devereaux is part of the Salish and Blackfeet tribes of Montana. She received her Bachelor of Social Work from the University of Montana and her Master's of Social Work at Arizona State University. Turquoise works at the intersections of direct support to students, inter, uh, institutional and organizational process consulting, program evaluation, training facilitation on decolonizing approaches to practice, and indigenous social justice. Um, so that is a lot of really amazing work that you are all up to. And um, I'm so, so, so excited to have you um, here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having <laughs> us. <laughs> well, yeah, we're excited to be here today. So, so uh, sorry, I just, I didn't mean to shut you. So I just read your bios and like, it sounds like there's like a lot of fancy words in there that are program and, and, but I'd love for you to tell me like what it is you do on a daily basis and what, what you're, what you're, what you're hoping to achieve and what you're, the world that you're working to create with, with the work that you do. Um, because what's written on the bio doesn't always reflect the realities of, of and, and the passions of, of who you are and what you do. So whoever wants to start. Yeah. No, you can go first. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always, I mean, you'll hear throughout our whole conversation, Turquoise and I will share stories and kind of, you know, give background, but um, the simplest term is like, you know, coming from indigenous communities, we crave community and we crave connection. And so basically all the programming and the work and the projects that we um, choose to engage in is very value-based. And so that's how Turk and I connected is that we have a, um, common value system to want to empower indigenous youth and indigenous communities and we both have a strength and a skill set that we could contribute to doing that and so that's how we first met and um, that's how we formed indigenous community collaborative and order to you know um, amplify the indigenous perspective we always say revitalizing the indigenous perspective right and so my specialty and my background is really trying to do um, skills-based training. That's the workforce development side um, and cultivating um, like future workforce um, leaders, right? And so there's so many different types of programs, but that's the workforce part. And oftentimes with skill set training comes that educational component um, where we're trying to create those pathways for anybody, youth, displaced workers, um, people that are trying to find a career of what those pathways are like. And we do that with uh, through revitalizing um, indigenous identity and those value sets, kind of making the connections. 
Beautiful. I love that. Yeah, um, I feel like we do a lot. It's hard. It's always hard to, um, <clears throat> you know, kind of, we kind of try to compartmentalize what we do, but it all comes down to like identity, indigenous identity revitalization. And especially when I do a lot of work around like decolonizing strategies and education and, um, and mostly like westernized systems, right? So it's like, because I'm a social worker, not only in like social services and things like that, but also primarily I work in education. So um, what, I, what I do is, what I say I do is I create culturally safe spaces for um, indigenous populations. So that entails, you know, re unlearning and relearning history, telling history from indigenous perspective, making sure that you're acknowledging, prioritizing indigenous knowledge and values, beliefs and identity on the same level as westernized education and westernized practices um, within the systems. And like Mel was saying, you know, those indigenous values is like connection, collectivist communities, right? Like identity, understanding not only our own identity, but the identity of our family, our communities, and then for non-natives to understand that as well. So you can create culturally safe spaces where nobody's identity is challenged. Um, and you know, and that, I mean, that can be, that can be applied to any, anyone's identity, right? And that idea of creating that culturally safe space can really be um, adapted to any situation from anyone that comes from a, a different cultural background. Um, but that's mainly what we do. And, uh, and so we work on, you know, especially in education, work on what I call like macro level, right, of like institutional reform, curriculum development, policy implementation. Um, and then we do like, we're, we work with indigenous youth a lot, which is like one of my favorite things to do um, with indigenous identity and also tribal communities too with building that cultural confidence. So we kind of work on all different levels in every different sector um, because we know that, you know, especially indigenous identity, it's important to prioritize that in every single area that anyone works in. So, yeah, I just saw both of your faces light up when you talked about <laughs> the indigenous youth. It was great, you know. <laughs> People listening aren't going to be able to to see that, but um, you can tell it's it's very clear that that the passion you have for what you do. Um, can you talk a little bit about decolonizing strategies? Because like, what can you what what is a strategy that would be colonized, and then what do you what kind of <clears throat> What do you do to decolonize it? Because I think for a lot of people listening, they may not know exactly what that means, including, like I know the concept, but I, what does that look like in your, in your line of work? Um, yeah, so the process of decolonizing is very, um, it's very complex in many different ways. And, but it's also very, um, it, it requires a lot of consistency. It requires a lot of what we're saying, like unlearning and relearning, a lot of skill development, because even people who were colonized, right, we're already in these colonized systems, right? So even us who don't, didn't have the privilege of even learning history from an indigenous perspective, right, we were only taught history from, um, unless we have family in our community and people who have taught us things. But other than that, when we go to school, we still learn the same education as everybody else. So we still live, or we still learn that colonized education, meaning that it was written by people who colonized indigenous people here in America, right? So when I talk, when I do my trainings, and especially when I do creating culturally safe spaces, 
I go through the four stages of colonization because a lot of what we deal with, and especially the fact that, you know, Indian education isn't included in the curriculum, right? That means that it's colonized, right? Because it was decolonized, we would learn about the indigenous perspective history, right? Because it would create, it would put indigenous knowledge and experiences and beliefs and values on the same level as a westernized education so that's meaning that you know that those things are recognized in these colonized spaces so when you when we keep you know not including that in education when we keep not including it even in as a social worker right like even in the foster care system or even in all these different colonized systems if we keep not including those things then we're perpetuating the same oppression that got us to this point right and so when you think about the idea of decolonizing, it is like Mel and I, when we do like skill development trainings, you know, it's like, you have to think this way and it's a different way of thinking, right? Because for people who, these colonized systems, for people who, where the system tailors to them, right? Because they don't belong to these populations that have been oppressed by these systems, then they have to completely think a different way what we call it like and, and yeah like a collectivist indigenous worldview and if they don't do that consistently then they're not gonna be in these spaces spaces consistently trying to create a space for BIPOC communities if that makes sense mm -hmm. so it does take a lot of work and it takes a lot of self-awareness self-awareness is a big thing that we try to teach empathy self-awareness yeah all of those things it's hard it's really and we know it's hard like because we even have to do that right as as indigenous people but for people who particularly right like never have had to do that in their life um it can be really really difficult but really when it comes to decolonizing it's really including those things um in those spaces that are are usually suppressed or um not not seen as equal if that makes sense yeah yeah, and it goes so deep, I feel like. Melanie, it looks like, did you have something to add? Or you were just oh, like, agree? Yeah, yeah, no, so Turk and I, I mean, you can't see this because it is a podcast and uh, we've been presenting and sharing our stories together for over a year, a couple of years now. So we could, she could read my mind is basically <laughs> what I'm saying. You'll see me do uh, this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to add, you know, it, it really does start with self-awareness. Um, I think that is a very critical step into decolonizing. And it's so funny that I'm even using that term because Turk and I are two, this, I think this is our strength because we are two totally different perspectives. I'm still learning personally about my culture because of our historical oppression, right? That over these years from my parents. So, I mean, I, I guess I would consider myself more urban, right? more urban and native. And so I'm still also learning my own cultural and, and Turk talks a lot about this cultural spectrum, spectrum that us as indigenous peoples are still on and, and anybody from a, a cultural BIPOC background, right? I mean, we kind of have the same experiences where we're functioning in, in I mean, this is a common term for indigenous communities is functioning in two different worlds where I have like this westernized way like, you know I was taught to go to college I was taught to work in a corporate environment but still trying to maintain this balance of like engaging in my cultural history and my cultural ways of living and it's a constant struggle but that's just our reality right now is that we're we're always on that line right 
And so, so I, I don't, it's not, I don't use terms like decolonizing, like Turkish will tell me, it's like representation matters. You being in that college class is decolonizing. And I'm like, oh, it is, you know? So I'm personally making my own connections too about the work that I'm doing. And it is diversity, it is equity, it is inclusion, it's all of those things. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's also kind of, again, going back to that identity piece, it always starts with self-awareness of really understanding what really, what perspective I'm, I'm functioning from. Mm -hmm. So um, that kind of then impacts everything else, uh, how you communicate with, with people, how you um, behave in certain situations, how you uh, just process information, right? And so that's an ongoing process. And for individuals like yourselves that are, you know, trying to understand our way of living and, and, and trying to understand our perspective, I mean, ultimately in, in our reality, it's we're healing, you know, it's a healing process for you, but it's a learning process. I mean, a learning process for us, <laughs> backtrack, a learning process for you, yeah. but a healing process for us. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that's the only thing I wanted to add. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you mentioned, you know, that you're, you're both indigenous, but you you come from completely different parts of the country and different tribes. And um, for people who, who are not watching the YouTube version of this, like you look very different. Um, talk, can you talk a little bit about the diversity within tribal communities and, and what, what like, I don't know what those memes are. It's like what, how I started and how I am now, like, what does the world see? And what is actual the reality of, of diversity within indigenous communities? Yeah, we're super diverse. I mean, yeah, like Mel and I, we're a perfect example of how diverse we can be. Um, and because not only do we come from like totally different areas of the country, which a lot of people don't know that either, because when you think of like how we're portrayed in like large, larger society or media, it's always like these specific images you see or these specific way you know thing ways that we're supposed to look and that's also what impacts our identity right because if someone looks at me and says you you can't be native like you have curly hair and you're not native you know what i mean or like you you know i'm too light-skinned right you know you're not brown you're not too you're not dark enough right things like that like that impacts your like that impacts my identity right so that's like they're not creating culturally safe space for me right when they say those things so when we talk about how diverse we are because um, there's 574 federally recognized tribes in America, and that's not counting state recognized or tribes who don't have recognition at all. And, you know, and that was in that, you know, while coloniz colonization was happening and those processes of how that became about, but we're all so diverse. I mean, even even being native myself, you know, moving, moving to Arizona from Montana, I even had to, like, cause I'm around tribes now that I know nothing about. We all have different languages. So there's hundreds of indigenous languages that are spoken in America. And a lot of people don't understand that either. And we all have different spiritual customs, you know, ceremonies, songs, whatever, however we want to practice our spirituality. And people don't understand that either. And, but even me moving here as an indigenous person to Arizona, I had to practice my cross-cultural skills, right? Of being like, okay, I don't know anything about these tribes. I, you know, like it's my first time leaving Montana, like to live somewhere else. Yeah. And of course my passion is working with indigenous communities, but I had to learn that. And I had to be self-aware of where I was coming from. And even, you know, 
my privilege is like being more light skin right and and that privilege that comes with that and so and and then being in these spaces that aren't my spaces right even though i'm indigenous these communities that's their that's their community it's not mine even though i i identify as native or american indian or indigenous that's still not my community so so we're very very diverse and that's one thing that you should remember when you're working with indigenous populations is we're very very diverse there's really not one picture that explains all of us <laughs> but yeah yeah and i also again is um i've learned a lot over these past few years about my own personal identity and really just trying to grasp this concept about like our identity as indigenous communities is very land-based right so like my connection to my home is because it's my people's land right and so with that comes different way of eating the different types of food our different um our different stories of origin right our different traditions and customs that came along with it even down to the way we dress traditionally and the things that we were wore um before contact right it's very different from what turquoise is 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 dealing with in montana <laughs> you know yeah. very different there but it's directly related to land and mm -hmm. it's um again something that i've learned and and if you think about those 574 nations that still exist today their connection is directly through to their land base and so that's where their way of living comes from as well yeah. and so everyone has their own language and their own religion and their own traditions i'm i'm um I'm three tribes, so I'm a Havi, Tewa, and Hopi, and we're very different. All my mm -hmm. tribes from each other are very different. So, and that, and they're all based here in Arizona. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I have a funny story with that, is like when Turquoise were presenting, she was sharing something about, I think it was uh, Buffalo. I think that was your guys' uh, we were talking about Buffalo, and I was like, that doesn't resonate with me. <laughs> I don't know what the, the Buffalo, the us was fishing, because we lived on the river. Right, so it was a different, or cactus, anything to do with saguaro cactus and prickly pear and, and whatnot. So it, her and I both, we, we learned a lot from each other when we first started working with each other. Yeah. Turquoise, how did you ground yourself when you came? I mean, you're like, I'm of you, but I'm not. Like, how, what it, and how, was, how were you received? I mean, I know it sounds yeah. like you Melody hit it off really quickly but yeah we did like and and i honestly though like and and i i truly believe that like i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you know like what i do and my passion and what i want to do for my community because that's what got me here and i think meeting mel was like the next step for me to really be able to feel like this is where i belong um mel and then my current supervisor now where i work um they both kind of like took me in and and they're both from here they're both mojave well, different different <laughs> they used to be one tribe Mojave now they're on in different places but um but I feel like they really took me in and and I think it was you know them being able to see my passion for what I wanted to do in my work and and what I you know what my goals were in my career and my education and then them just really taking the risk and chance to like support me in that I think was huge and if I didn't have them I think it would have been really difficult because yeah I moved here alone and his first time leaving my family, which, you know, for indigenous people is really, really hard because we are such people place. We come from such collectivist communities and to have, you know, to move here before my education, which again, like Mel said, right, 
walking in those two worlds, it's very, very difficult for American Indian students to make it through education or any type of westernized system because we have to function in two worlds because we have to be successful in a westernized education system right mm -hmm. but that that education system doesn't doesn't include us whatsoever yet we're expected to be be experts in that while we're trying to pretty much utilize those skills to help our community and when we 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 function from such a collectivist community versus a westernized like individualistic worldview right and so when we're doing those things, you know, if we're like, okay, I gotta go get my master's and I'm just gonna go, I'm just gonna do it. This is what I wanna do, take the chance. And it was very difficult, I'm not gonna lie, but I think with people like Melody and my current supervisor, it was, that was probably one of the biggest things. And, um, and, and it was hard, it was really hard. I'm like, but I mean, I would not change anything because I think for me, it helped me grow so much in my personal abilities and my skills to do the work that I do on a whole nother level that I feel like I wouldn't have had the chance to do if I stayed in Montana. I can imagine that just if, if because community and connection is so important for any of you, yeah. if you're taken away from that, like, yeah. That yeah, it's really difficult for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that's why when I work with a lot of Native students in education, that's one of the main things, that's one of the main decolonizing strategies in education is creating that supportive collective network and finding those places on campus for Native students where they can feel like they have a home away from home, because that'll keep them there, that'll help them make it through this system that doesn't, that doesn't, pretty much tells us we don't belong there, right? like that will keep you there, right? And if you can create those spaces on campus, in your classrooms, you know, in with staff and faculty, having that diversity, then it'll keep Native students in education and they'll be successful. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about the curriculum reform that, you, that you're working on? It sounds like the, the decolonizing strategy, you sort of started to get into yeah. a little bit. Um, yeah. What other things go into that reform? Well, you know, so I come from Montana. So in Montana, we actually have Indian Education for All as a state mandate in our constitution. Um, and so it's it's mandated from, they say, they say K through 12, what's well, pretty much supposed to be K through 20. So it's actually supposed to be on like the higher education level. But when I was working in Montana, and that's kind of where I kind of started my career. And I was like, why isn't this being mandated at my university, right? And growing up really even I went to school on the res, I grew up on the res, but we, honestly, like, I feel like I didn't, I didn't learn any, everything that I teach about indigenous version of history, I learned on my own when I got to college. And that's because I had to figure this stuff out, right? And I wanted to share these things with my peers, but it wasn't taught to me. I had to do that. And so for me, I said, okay, we need to mandate this at my institution in the Montana University system, right? Because it's a state mandate. And so that's kind of where I started. So I come from a state that, you know, quote unquote, prioritizes in an education, but it's not even happening there, right? And so for me, when I do curriculum, curriculum reform and I have the opportunity even here in Arizona to do it and, and some parts of Montana as well, I really try to, but you're going up against the entire system, right? That's the thing is you literally have to change at almost, most of what you're already teaching because when i'm in social like if i'm in school of social work right in particular and i'm like okay let's change this let's change this because as social workers 
we are going to be when we graduate we're going to work for these systems that just continue for built to oppress people in the first place and if we don't understand how that system continues to oppress people then we're just going to keep oppressing people right if we don't understand and that's why if we don't understand how curriculum continues to oppress people then we're just institutions are just going to keep oppressing people that systemic oppression and racism is just going to keep happening and so unless we can acknowledge like yes we need to change our curriculum yes we need to include this this you know acknowledging indigenous knowledge acknowledging indigenous lived experiences right like this isn't like some, you know, you have students in your class who live these, these things. Like, it's not, it's nothing like out of the, like, you know, it's so crazy to talk about. Like, we're in it. We live it every day. We come from these communities. We've experienced these things still since European contact. We still are experiencing those things, right? So it's like, it's not that far. People say it's so long ago. It's really not, you know, like we still experience those things. And so, it really comes down to not only acknowledging systemic oppression, systemic racism, but also acknowledging that we need to change what our systems actually, how they function and what they teach, right? If we really want to do that. And it's a long process. It is such a long process. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And unfortunately, you know, most faculty and staff of, of color and that come from BIPOC communities are really the ones that are doing all the heavy lifting and that can be really really uh tiresome and you can burn out really quick um but it's you know the small the small step that you can take towards that is really it's really really beneficial because it, it go it's it's a double whammy i always say that if you can have a curriculum that actually includes these things about bipoc communities then you're gonna have more bipoc students be successful in your courses and that's just it because it's going to create culturally safe spaces because you're actually including them in curriculum and you're also going to teach non you know people who are non-bipoc to really learn how to work with those communities and in the systems that they're going to be working in so it works both ways right it's not just to help us but it's also to help everybody else melody oh yeah go ahead yeah i think um i think a critical thing um that turk is saying but it's like something that has resonated with me in my professional career is like this process of translation, mm -hmm. right? Like she talks about decolonizing curriculum, but really what she's doing is making the connections for everybody to understand our perspective. And she does that so, so well. And we try to create programs and trainings for non-Indigenous folks to do this themselves. We're trying to teach them how to do this because we're only two people and again she was talking about how it's just exhausting to do that to have to teach people um our way of living like it's a process that they have to go through which it goes back to that, that self-awareness that empathy that behavior change but there's this whole piece of how can um how can we teach others how to do this translation part um so they could better support any indigenous person or person of color um in their journey, either, either it be uh, career development or, or educational. And so that, that mechanism of translation that she talks about has helped me profoundly in how to uh, train others and how to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Work with others. 
to do that. Yeah, so when we talk about like that translation, it's really just translating everything we learn in a westernized education system and translating out how to serve our community because we come from two different worldviews, right? So it's like, you, we, we, you gotta help make that connection or else we don't see a purpose of learning those skills because we don't even, they're not taught in a way to serve a collectivist community. Mm. Yeah, so that translation piece is key. I, and she'll, she could give you an example about like how, she, how one of her teachers has done it, but yeah. for something as so simple like, I mean, we teach uh, in workforce development how to teach younger kids how to do a resume, right? Or how to like do a college application. And we're taught at a very young age that the elders in our community are very important. So you do anything and everything for them. You go chop their wood, you go clean their yard, you go make them dinner, you, you take them to the grocery store, you do everything for them because they're, they're the pillar of our communities, right? So I always tell kids is like what you're doing right there in a westernized system they call that volunteerism so you write that down on your resume you know like even though that's something that you're required i mean that's taught to you at a very young age and that's just what we what we do over here they call that volunteerism yeah right? so we're making the connection for them so <clears throat> like that yeah yeah and i mean and yeah i'm glad you brought that up because one of my mentor in montana like that they were the first person, the first professor I ever had in my educational career, and this was like a year before I was supposed to graduate my undergrad, where they helped me do that translation. Like, and I was first time experience, I'm like, this is what it's supposed to be like, right? Because I did all this research on Native student experiences. Um, I did a program evaluation in my undergrad. But when it came down to actually writing my final paper about what I did, I had no idea, like, because I, I really struggle with theory, like social work's all around theory, right? And I just, I can, it's so hard for me to translate. Like, okay, they're talking about this theory, but like, how does even, how does the theory even talk about how it's helping my community, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I remember I went to my professor and I said, okay, my mentor, and I said, okay, I did all, you know everything I did, but I do not know how to write this paper about what I actually did and how to connect it to theory. And they're like, oh, this theory, this theory, this theory, here's some articles, write it. Like literally it's just like that. And I didn't have to do that extra brain, like that's another barrier, right? I didn't have to completely take myself away from my passion and my purpose of serving my community to then like, right? Like they did it for me. And that those things, and like, yeah, like you were saying, Mel, when I used to work at American Indian Student Services, the students came into my office and they were like, I got to update my resume because I have to go apply for this job, but I have to go to class. Other says, I literally be like, I know these things that you're doing, but I had the experience, right, of like writing like it and you're using these, ac these action words and everything. And I remember I was telling my friend the day, I was like, I used to just be like, okay, let me just type it up for you, right? I know you have all these things to do. So that's one less thing that they have to translate right and like trying to work in this westernized world right and i think that's those like two perfect examples of what people can do for indigenous students in higher education and really in any in any setting when they're trying to function in a westernized system that's so powerful it's like it's it's just the stuff that like normative white culture doesn't ever have to yeah. think about and it's like yeah it's like code switching in a way it's like it's like oh. not having to think about how to exist exactly yeah it's because it's like it's speaking a different language yeah you know like it really is it's 
you, we have to learn a completely different way of functioning. And we have to, we don't have to learn it, but we have to be successful at it. Like, that's a whole other story. <laughs> right. Do you, do you feel like the expectations are, I've heard a lot of black folks tell me like, I had to work twice as hard to get the same, but I still didn't get the same treatment. How yeah. does that translate into indigenous communities? Is there a way to answer that question or is that not answerable? It's a lot of work. <laughs> same, right? I think it's the same, but I think we have like, you know, added pressure, right? Because there's not very many of us that are at the table in certain areas, right? So I think we have added pressure. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that we're trying not to be the voice for all natives. That's not our, we're just sharing our stories and sharing our experience. Yeah. So it's hard for people because they don't have access to indigenous communities often that sometimes people cling to our stories, right? And think it's one for all. I think that's pressure. Um, I don't know if it's so much about, um, you know, our ability and our willingness to make it more than it is everything that comes along with it, right? Like we, all these, what is that imposter syndrome and, and, and uh, um, all these added pressures. Um, it's just constant because there's not very many of us out there. That's my perspective. Yeah, thank you. Um, can you talk a little bit about activating spaces in community building? I know that's sort of, we've touched on that a little bit, but, but I think, Mel, I think that was yeah, you know, when I think about when you were talking about um, strategies and decolonizing strategies, right, I, I, I think space activation is one of those. Mm -hmm. um, I think, again, it's, it's all about taking back ownership or making our voices more amplified in spaces um, that really uh, helps share our perspective and, and, and our way of thinking right it's like a teaching tool it's but it's also like empowering for us when we take back space so we have a project that's coming up and i mean we have several projects and we'll share those at the end but one of our multimedia projects is that we have a youtube channel and our youtube channel is called response roundtable and basically it's just a platform for us to engage with other indigenous entrepreneurs business owners students, people that are doing great things in their scope of work and giving them that platform to share their story. So people could see that we are very diverse, but also how we're really connected based on our collectivist values, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one project. And another project that we have coming up is um, a location that we're, we're titling Cahokia that allows for collaboration. And so basically we're going to collaborate with several entrepreneurs that are doing work, indigenous entrepreneurs that are doing work in art, design and culture. So we could share our stories in a very big way, but we're also engaging with community, with, with each other, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just Turk and I that are gonna be at the table. We're gonna have like 20 of us at the table ready to go to share wow. our stories. So I think having that space it's just giving us the ability to do the work. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the only thing I really wanted to talk about when it talks about like place, place building, place, place making, place keeping yeah. and community building. Yeah. And like you said, Mel, that's a perfect decolonizing strategy. 
people making space for indigenous people to be be there be there be who we are doing what we do living our worldview right that's decolonizing like perfect strategy <laughs> how do you how do you keep your so we, we talked a little bit about wellness and self-care like how there's a few a few things that we could potentially touch on and i'll let you choose how you want to answer but a like how do you keep yourself from getting totally burnt out and exhausted but also the historical impact of being oppressed for your wellness practices how do you reincorporate those in a way that feels safe or in a way you know how do you re reclaim that um and what does what does wellness look like to you you want me to go first <laughs> okay so it's hard it's really <laughs> difficult um not gonna lie um and i think so when we think when we talk about colonizing especially because a lot of not all tribal communities but especially the tribal communities that mel and i come from are a very matriarchal matriarchal community so that means when we're colonized by a patriarchy right so our roles in our communities completely changed and when we think about even what you know what um the men in our communities were, were their role before European contact colonization looked like compared to now and then what even what ours look like compared to now right but we still have these expectations of what Mel and I call like we're the matriarchs of our community right and so we have these expectations there's expectations of us right to to be the caretaker to be this like this tote this like completely like center of the of the family of everything right and we have a, we have youtube i think we have two youtube right two youtube episodes on this uh the this idea of being a matriarch because because i think you know we now us now being in this whole in our generation of being like more modernized and more you know we're actually like in these systems constantly it's very very difficult when we're also trying to uphold these expectations of our families and our communities of being these matriarchs right so we say we're like the modernized matriarchs because we now know that you know american indigenous populations we come from trauma and so we we not only deal with our own personal trauma we deal with hundreds of years of historical intergenerational trauma right and so when you're dealing with that and you're also expected to take care of your community, it can be really difficult to prioritize um, self-care and also, you know, prioritize what you need as in, in your body. Because we know, like, we know we need community. We know we need our family. We know that those are things that we will always need regardless, right? And as Indigenous women, but we also need to learn how to prioritize you know really taking care of our well-being as well but you know we talk about even our episode i always think about you know like like my mom my grandma like the matriarchs who came before me who in most cases right were just literally they had no choice but to just survive in in like it was constant survival versus like having the opportunity to actually prioritize like their their self-care right for themselves but because of what they did i am now in a space where i can prioritize that so now i and and you know i thank them for what they've done and what they provided to me because you know i was raised by my grandmother who is the matriarch of our family 
and for what she sacrificed in her life and what she went through in her life for me to give me the opportunity to now be in not be able not only be able to like be in a, a completely white system and be like okay i'm here and i'm about to change this curriculum and about to do this work you know what i mean but but also like be able to help my community wherever i'm at still be able and also be able to like heal as an individual as as a as a woman indigenous woman which she might not have the opportunity, but now I do. So the next generation that comes after me will then be able to do it even more, right? It's that, it's that process of healing. And even though we don't think we're doing it, we're doing it for the next generations, right? And I think that's, that's what we always talk about. Mel and I always talk about this because it's difficult. It's really, really hard. And as a social worker too, you know, it's like you learn classes, oh, self-care, self-care. It's like, you don't know what actually works until you do it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and then if it's not working, then you got to find something else and do that for a long time. So you got to, you got to figure it out. Right. And especially not being close to home, having my spirituality, you know, those things as self-care is really difficult as well. So you have to find those spaces and those people like, you know, I found Mel and I found this community that I have in Phoenix here that really feeds into my identity in that way. But it is difficult being away from home too when you think about self-care and spirituality. Mel, do you have anything to add? No, you saw me do one of these. <laughs> I, she touched on everything about, you know, us coming from a matriarch community um that's my community we always think about the generations before us and the generations after us and self-care is just one topic but there's just so many different things that kind of impact our personal growth and um with that comes emotion right i can't just go to a massage without feeling guilty i can't take a day off without working without feeling guilty or thinking about my mom or you know everyone else that i think of as doing doing the work um so she touched on all of it. Yeah, that's I, that's so interesting. The patriarchal matriarchal dichotomy. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, there's different expectations in each of your worlds, and you're already in du dueling, dueling existence. What did you say, dueling? No, walking in two worlds. <laughs> walking in two worlds. Yeah, you're already doing that. So, <clears throat> like a deeper level of understanding of just how different they are culturally as well. Um, yeah, we automatically feel the difference when we go home actually on our episode one of the girls was talking about going home and she was trying to sleep in and grandma's like get up what are you doing the sun's up you know like we got to do this we got to do this we got to do this you know and when you're home it's a totally different vibe than i am here you know so there's a lot of difference depending on the environment <laughs> yeah definitely oh that makes me tired <laughs> you're like I'm, i want to just get some rest it's it's different I love, I love also what you were saying, Melody, about the volunteerism and, and it's just like doing it to do it rather than doing it to put on, to, to get ahead, you know, like doing, I mean, some people volunteer, they don't do it, to, they do it because they want to do it, but it's like, it's such an ingrained part of your culture to just do those things mm -hmm. um, and how beautiful that is. And it just, that really struck me. I wanted to, to name that. Um, can you, we're, we're, almost running out of time and I want to respect all everyone listening and your, your time. Um, can you tell people how to follow you, what projects you're working on? You've mentioned it, but, but, and we'll have everything in the, in the show notes as well, but where can people, um, and you mentioned your YouTube channel, but it cut out a little bit the name. So if you can just mention that name again, 
um, and then anything else you're working on and how people can um, support. Yeah, so we're considered a social enterprise. And so how I define social enterprises, and some of you might know, you know, it's basically a for-profit model with a nonprofit heart. So a lot of our um, work that we do is for the purpose of indigenous communities. So if you want to learn more about our organization or you want to donate to some of our projects, you could go to www.indigenouscc.org. Um, you could also follow us on uh, Instagram. We're super active there. Uh, I'll share the organizations and our personal ones, uh, just because we each, again, when we talk about perspective, um, you'll see all the things that we, we promote. And I'll let Turk talk a little bit more about that. But um, our Instagram handle is indigenous.cc. And my personal handle is um, M-E-L-O 3134. Yeah. yeah, we're, um, so I, yeah, and a lot of what I do is I do trainings and again, curriculum development, institutional reform and all those things um, more on like a macro level, but, and then we do, of course, a lot of indigenous um, youth programming. So we're like, you know, like we're saying, we like create these, the, the youth were like, okay, hey, you're gonna experience the system. And then we create people, okay, you're gonna help them in the system, right? So we do both those. And so that's kind of, I do a lot of consulting in that area. Um, we have a lot of projects coming up with Indigenous Youth this summer in Phoenix, which is gonna be awesome. But we utilize Instagram a lot um, when we do our trainings because it's such, we see it as such a great way for you to have that consistency in education, even if it's small things, right, of like, if you're gonna be on social media, especially Instagram, like, right, like creating your algorithm so those things are coming up and you're learning, you're consistently learning about these things and this, you know, these different lived experiences. And so we're really um, active and consistent with, you know, what we're putting out and what we're sharing. Um, and so, um, so that's a really great way of learning. And like we said, right, like having that self-awareness, that empathy, um, having that consistency in your environment, right, is, is what's going to change the way that you think and the way that you function, um, and including Indigenous worldview and, and decolonizing spaces, um, but also, uh, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, so yeah, so with our Instagram, so that's uh, Indigenous CC and Mel's, and then my personal one is at Turquoise Sky, um, and that's S-K-Y-E, um, so you can follow us, and um, we always share some really awesome stuff sometimes some funny stuff and it's just it's just a really great way to stay connected and um so and you can also contact us on our website um if you are interested in services or trainings or anything like that um we'll be more than happy to um to uh collaborate with people and provide those services so amazing and one last thing our youtube channel is res sponsor roundtable so it's r-e-z-p-o-n-s-e roundtable and again, we share just stories from an indigenous perspective and we have season four coming up here soon. So we have three seasons. Oh, that's exciting. That's awesome. Thank you for that. That's a, I love the name. That's, that's great. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Melody and Turquoise for, for taking the time to, to share the work that you do and your, your perspectives and the, uh, a bit of a like peek into the culture that you've each come from, although it's very different from each other, it's very, very different from, from whiteness and um, giving a glimpse into what it is that you face uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So, and, and the work that you're doing for so many people. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you.
Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts, and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.